Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. England pull off an incredible comeback. Didn't see it coming uh, on Friday, but it'll be enough to make it to the Olympics. Uh, we discuss what went wrong and then so right for England against the Dutch and what happens tonight in a complicated fixture against Scotland. It was also a huge week for the professional game in England as clubs across the top two divisions finally agreed to Nuco's takeover from next season. But why did championship clubs initially vote against it? Stay with us for all that and much, much bloody more. Right, as always, before we get stuck in, Rach, give us a moment for the weekend. Okay, um, we were discussing this beforehand and it's been decided that I will choose this moment to share. And <laughs> this was at the awards, the uh, FSA awards we were at last night. That was not just an opportunity for me to shoehorn it in. Uh, name drop. But uh, awards that we were nominated at and didn't win. Um, and we were chatting to our good friend Susie Rack from The Guardian. Love her. And her husband was telling us about how their son uh, was doing a school project a couple of years ago which he interviewed you for. Mm, I remember it well. Yeah. Now, I didn't get the full premise of the whole story behind what exactly they were doing in school and whatever. The gist of it was they had to talk about, I think, like a local, like famous person kind of thing, which is obviously why I spoke with you. What? Yeah. Um, Little little old me. Little old me. So uh, he was getting all ready to do his presentation and it turns out one of the other kids in class had done theirs on Chloe Morgan. But weirdly... Her story ended with Chloe Morgan and then she died. So <laughs> went through her career and then apparently Chloe Morgan died, um, which was awkward for uh, Susie's son, um, who then came up with... And me. And the interview he did with you the day before <laughs> via video. Um, moral of the story, guys, is, is do your research. Yeah, it's that. There must be another Chloe Morgan who... Or, you know, you know, second source, your information. I have heard that is key. Uh, you know, he literally spoke to you. I hope he got us an A star in that. 
Well, I hope you didn't feel too sad, to be honest. Like, yeah. Uh, my moment of the weekend uh, was actually, this sounds a bit self-indulgent, actually, but it was us being nominated for the Podcast of the Year at the FSA Awards. Um, yeah, we were the first female podcast to do so. And I just wanted to give a massive, massive shout out to everyone who voted for us, who has listened um, over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, and sent us all your suggestions and comments and things because we've absolutely, we love our jobs. We absolutely love our jobs. So yeah, being at the awards and sort of making a very tiny bit of history, I think was like quite a momentous little evening. And obviously I spent it with you and our lovely producer Finn and I had lovely chocolate mousse, which was gorgeous. Did you like that? It was, it was delightful. You should have come over and had mine because I did not. Well, you didn't offer. Mm. Thanks for that. Um, right. Let's get stuck in. It's our first December podcast. Merry Christmas, everyone. What Do does it in everyone... the Irish accent. Go on. Merry Christmas, Rachel. <laughs> what does everyone want this year? Probably at least three goals tonight um, against oh. Scotland. And why is that? Because we, we narrowly got a win against the Dutch. Um, we pulled off a second half comeback to win 3-2 and just about keep the Olympic qualification hopes alive. And a tune, bloody love, the Wembley goal. Christ, it was it was squeaky bum time. Um, right, so before we get stuck into the actual game, I think we've got to set the scene. Uh, we all knew it was going to be a big, big ask. It wasn't a sellout game at Wembley, which is, we've come accustomed to that. It was only 71,000. Yeah, so not a sellout, not good enough, personally. <laughs> <laughs> bloody Baltic, I'm not surprised. I'm amazed 71,000 came out in that weather. Tell me what you thought of that first half performance, being as Kind as you can. I thought the first 10, 10 12 minutes, mm. some really good football. Spicy. I was quite excited. I was like, this is great. This is what England looked like when Fran Kirby's back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a intensity about them. They were playing well. Um, I'd been a little bit unsure of Hemp in the nine. Um, but, you know, they, they were creating opportunities. Not loads of, like, really clear-cut chances, but they were creating opportunities. They looked dangerous. The Dutch were making mistakes. Yeah. Quite uncharacteristic, but making mistakes. And then the one big chance they had was the save that Daphne van Domselaar made from Lauren Hemp. Unreal save, which was given as a goal kick and resulted in the first Dutch goal. And the defending for both of those Dutch goals, in my kindest words, was horrendous. Mm. Absolutely horrendous. It was a shambles. I think it was only, I think, 50 seconds between what was the goal kick, the sort of illegal goal kick, uh, which shouldn't have been, uh, to then them converting their chance. I mean, it was a great chance from Lauren Hemp. Like the link up between Lauren James and, and Lauren Hemp was absolutely f- fucking unreal. I'll say it. I'll swear. I'll swear. Which is so unusual. So it must mean something if you're actually going to swear. 100%. Fingertip save. It was quite obviously uh, a save. It was but a super save. Well, as a goalkeeper, yeah, okay, go you on. make an unreal save yes. like that. You're giving it all like Billy Big Balls and then it's like <laughs> goal kick. Are you like raging or are you like, God damn it, now I don't get the credit for the save, but at least it's not a corner. There's a conflict between the, you know, there's no me and team, but in those kind of... I'm like, I'm literally like, a me and team. You need an E and an M to spell team. I need acknowledgement. There's I need no I in acknowledgement team. of what I've done. Um, but also, it's great for the team and it led to the goal. So, you know what? Like, you've just got to suck it up, really. But yeah, uh, in the 11th minute, the Dutch responded. Uh, Pelova sort of exploiting uh, the right-hand side. Charles I enjoyed was, that battle. It was Pelova was great. It was very annoying. Charles was completely out of position for the first goal. They'd pushed so high on, and then it only took one ball threaded through to Berenstein, and that, that was it. And then and it was a lovely ball, but and this ball was given a lot of praise. Yeah, It was a good ball. It, it was fantastic. But why... As balls go, amazing. Why Jess Carter doesn't 
slide, stick a leg out, get in front of that. Like it was a great ball, but for it to get to her and then for Bierenstein to have so much time there were two defenders around her. What is happening? The worst thing is, I saw Lucy Bronze had to push Jess Carter out of the way to get back into the line of fire. <laughs> Jess Carter, who hadn't really seen where the ball, like she wasn't tracking back like at all in the slices. I don't think she was ball watching. She wasn't seeing where Bierenstein was. And obviously like, she was just off her shoulder. And then Lucy Bronze sort of had to come across and try and sort of navigate the whole situation and provide some kind of leadership there at the back. And she ended up pushing Jess Carter to try and set us I don't know, I think they were both wrong. Get like, out of the way. What, like, and Bierenstein as well brought her shooting boots. Did and she? And she often leaves them at home. She'll put her speed boots on and she leaves the shooting boots. She had the shooting boots on last on that night. Oh my, it just, it was shambolic. And I think from then it just looked like we were completely unsettled. <laughs> In, in that moment, I think I was expecting more from England. I was expecting them to be, okay, we've had a fantastic 10 minutes. We nearly got the opener. Yes, we've made a mistake at the back, but let's, let's get back on the wagon. That reaction, yeah. Yeah, I was expecting some more kind of like, do you know what? Come on, let's go. But also, you're missing the leadership of someone like Millie Bright. So, yes, I think it's difficult sometimes to display that kind of leadership when you've got someone like Mary Earps, I think, sitting at the back. I think you need sometimes a bit more of a presence in and around the outfield players. Um, but yeah, obviously losing your captain, you know, a few days before um, with with an injury niggle isn't great. Then, 34 minutes in. Carbon, not carbon coffee, but shambolic defending again. And to be fair, there were problems in the midfield to, for the ball to get. There were so many problems mm. that happened, mistakes that happened for the ball to then end up in the back of the net. And I know Mary Earps is shouldering the blame for that goal because she was the last line of defence and she made a mistake and she should have done better. Mm-hmm. But so too should Alex Greenwood, Jess Carter. I'm pretty sure Kira Walsh was involved at one point in that that moment when the ball got to, was it Palova again, where Carter kind of pulled out of the tackle and then I think just, it was, did, yeah. just take the yellow card. Yeah. Fowler. Um, yeah, so there was a number of calamitous situations that happened before the ball then eventually rolled under Mary. Well, I was looking back, so obviously I was there at the time. Obviously, then I, I go back and watch the game, and actually that goal, it looks, um, it looks like Bierenstein is offside again uh, when she's played the initial ball. So I'm thinking, I think ever so slightly, were we robbed? Okay, no, from a goal kick okay. situation and then an offside situation, which led to two goals. But again, you do have to be very critical. Alex Greenwood, obviously wrong-footed. If, and if we Epps, defended well in both of those situations, it wouldn't be goals. For sure. And Mary Epps could have definitely done better. I mean, I was looking at, because with the angle that we were at, it kind of looked like, okay, well, maybe it was just out of her reach. It was too, it took it past her, but it was definitely in her, like, safe She almost zone. kind of pushed it in. Yeah, yeah she did. It yeah. slipped underneath her and, you know, it happened. It happened. Whatever. Let's get into the second half. What was said in the training rooms? And who said it? Uh, Serena Wiegman, Rocket. You bum. reckon? Yeah. Hair dryer. One hundred percent. It's not good enough. It's absolutely not good enough. Uh, her job is on the line. Her her team GB salary is on the line. Um, get it done, gal. Do you think also <clears throat> the second half there was a fight and determination that I think maybe has been lacking a little bit since the World Cup? And I've touched on this and other things, but there was a good interview with Georgia Stanway because, like you, I went home and rewatched the match again. Yes. Um, there was a great interview with Georgia Stanway on ITV beforehand. And she was speaking about coming back from the World Cup final and walking into her flat and just being silence. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, you know, she'd just come from like three months with this group, with the team, with all the support staff to back to her flat and to silence. And she said she basically had to put all that to one side to then get into the domestic season and then get back into England again. And it made me think about all the players 
not just England, all of the players, the Spanish players, the Swedish players, the Australians, how much like post-tournament come down that they just have to push to the side and go again. Bury it. And that mental side of the game, like getting yourself, because now every game matters. There's no friendly to kind of ease yourself back in or take a break or, Mm -hmm. you know, put out some youngsters and, you know, give them a run out. Like every game matters and every game you have to see as important. And it must be really hard to mentally G yourself up like that again. And I thought the second half, we saw that from the Lionesses. Yeah. And it was almost like they were staring over the precipice of potentially, you know, ending up third in the group. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when it seemed to trigger them. And that seemed to trigger like the fight that's been missing. And it was almost like they needed that situation to awaken that side of them. 100%. I think, um, I mean, it was only what last week, the uh, the FIFA Pro sort of survey was sort of coming back and saying um, that players didn't get enough rest post-World Cup. Shock. And also the mental health support as well. That wasn't, uh, that was raised as one of the mm. issues that they weren't provided with as well. That was pre and in the middle of and also post-tournament. So, yeah, I mean, you do have to think about you're, the impact. You're seeing that now. Sweden, they're, they're out of the Olympics. They're not mm-hmm. going to the Olympics for the first time ever, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Spain lost to Italy. Like, no one is in tip-top form right now. And I think we're seeing the, and we talk about it all the time, like a broken record, but we're seeing what happens when players are just playing and playing and playing and playing competitive football with no break. Well, the brief break at halftime seems Did to something absolute business yeah. to them. Um, that that side of it, that fight was there in the second half. Okay, tell me what you thought of the second half. Go for it. Because the goals themselves were absolutely stunning. They were great goals. And I also thought like, I mean, I'm, from a selfish point of view, I was really friggin' irritated that not a single player celebrated a single goal. And me and the other photographers are like, at least the third. Get a third and celebrate the third. There's a third. No celebration. She's running away from us again. Um, they didn't have time to celebrate. I know, mate. but I just, I felt the like... The first goal didn't come in the, to the 58th minute. The like, tension, the tension on, like ramped up as the game went on and it just felt like it was 100 miles an hour and the more goals they scored, the more they were like, we need another goal. And it just got like more and more tense. Um, so it was a really fun second half. God, wasn't it? And I think, um, again, Lauren James coming up Trump two big assists from her. I mean, a 58th minute, that beautifully curved in ball into the Georgia Stanway header. Uh, obviously, wrong foot in Daphne Van Domsela, I thought was, uh, that seemed to spark the crowd as well. The crowd had gone completely flat. Like when that second goal went in, is it the 34th minute or so? It was like, oh. oh. But yeah, I mean, the second goal um, in the 59th minute, literally a minute later, Emma Hayes, I was listening back to the comms on this, Emma Hayes completely <laughs> lost her shit. <laughs> you just hear in the background. <laughs> so, all composure, all kind of neutrality went out of the window. She just went, yeah. yeah. I love, what a beautiful, oh, what a beautiful goal. Yeah. I love that. When you've got one person commenting, you just hear in the background. <laughs> <laughs> So yes to that kind of commentary. I think that's what we all needed. Um, but yeah, a beautifully worked ball. It was very kind of, um, it was it was a collective effort, wasn't it? Charles to Mead, uh, the Stanway layoff, and then yeah, the Lauren Hemp strike in the edge of the box, pinging off the post. I mean, 50th cap for her, also 16th goal for the Lionesses. Um, yeah, amazing to see. I think that was when it became a really bloody tasty game. Um, yeah, I mean, what were your thoughts when that goal went in? Did you think, yeah, fuck it, we've got it now. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I thought they were going to win it. Um, but I didn't think wait until injury time to, to get the goal. Um, but yeah, like I said, it just kind of, it felt like they were going up a gear every time mm-hmm. they got a goal. Yeah. Um, and it just ratcheted up the tension as well. And I saw some people say, well, the only reason that England came back into it was because Jackie Grunin went off injured and uh, Daniela van der Donk went off injured. And 
DVD went off injured in like after the 80th minute, so I really um, am not giving it that. Jackie Gronin was very good in the first half. Um, but I do think Beth Mead's introduction in the second half changed the game. Yeah. I thought she brought an energy um, that had been lacking. And I think there's an element to some of these players, like your Fran Kirby's, like your Beth Mead's, who've missed out on some of these major tournaments that bring that fresh drive. Yeah. Because they're probably not as mentally fatigued in terms of the competitive football side of things. I know they've obviously gone through a lot coming back from injury, but they're desperate to get back on the pitch. And I thought both of them played really, really well. I thought Alessia Russo was excellent when she came on. Yep. I thought her off-the-ball work, her hold-up play, everything. I know she didn't score a goal, but I thought she was excellent. I think I thought she changed the game as well. She mm-hmm. gave it another layer, another element when she came on and another thing for the Dutch defence to deal with. So, yeah, I, I thought the second half was great. Gosh. And then topped off by a beautiful Ooh. 90th minute goal from who else? Wonder Kid, uh, Ella Toon. I mean... Scores at the final of the Euros. Yeah. Scores at the finalisma. Yep. Scores in this Olympic chance hope yep. game. She's like England's secret saviour. Lo- we all talk about Chloe Kelly in the big moments. Who? Ella Toon coming <laughs> up with them goals at Wembley. She loves Wembley. The, word is, the, the most horrible thing is that because I had kind of resigned the fact that we weren't going to get that, I didn't think we were going to get that last goal. Did you leave? I, I did. Oh my God. I'm not going to lie. I left in like the 85th minute. Oh my, is there a fire drill? Oh. We could see you sneaking out. I cannot <laughs> believe. I did. And then I was walking back from the stadium. I heard the... Ooh. It was huge, but I couldn't work out whether it was... Because it's a wave. A boo from, or a, a two. Boo or a t- <laughs> and, I couldn't, and, then, and then it was a celebration. Then I was like, is that a celebration for the Netherlands? I can't hear it. And then... I was You're like, at no, Box that Park, is, weren't you? Yeah, I was at Box Park. So yeah. Um, this is why we don't win the awards, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> History is being made at Wembley. I'm grabbing a pint at Box Park. No, it's only because I just, I, in that moment, I was oh, like, don't I, don't, st- I don't want to get stuck in the traffic of Wembley in the freezing. I don't like being cold. I don't like it. I won't have it. And it's, it's a bloody mile back to the station. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a doing it. A mile back to the station. It, well, it feels like a mile. It's not that far to Box Park and that's where you were going. Well, yeah, that's, You that's, just didn't want a queue going into Box Park. That's half a mile. So after the game, as well as obviously people coming into Box Park completely smashed and celebrating the massive, massive comeback, Mary Earps goes into the uh, post-match press conference, uh, she has, uh, the post-match interview. Obviously, like she's noticeably very upset on the pitch. Um, she's always someone, I think, that sort of has these incredibly high almost unobtainably high kind of standards that she just sets for herself to be consistently brilliant in every single game. And she wears her emotions on her sleeve. Yeah, massively. And I absolutely love that. Um, but yeah, I think like for me, I was like, I was looking at that thinking, you're being way too harsh on yourself. Like how many mistakes were made in that game? Um, in j- Even just that passage of play for the ball to end up in the back of the net, never mind the rest of the game. Literally that. I mean, you shouldn't have even been in a position to make that, to, to have to make a save in the first place. But... I think it was lovely and quite refreshing that she sort of acknowledged that as captain. I think obviously you've got to shoulder some of the responsibility for not only yourself and your individual performance, but that of the team. And I think she absolutely did that. So credit to her. Yeah, a a place of mine asked on Instagram if someone else should have done the post-match interview for England on Friday night. And I think she put herself up for that because she would have said, I'm captain and I have to front up. It's It's part of my responsibility to do that. So that would have been, she would have, if she didn't want to do it, she wouldn't have had to. Yeah, I think that is a bit of sort of um, a captaincy type role. I can't imagine anyone else would have like 
done it in the way that she did. So I think, and also it's nice to be vulnerable. It's nice to actually be like, yeah, fucking hell, I, I, that's a win, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah. It's not good enough. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like shit. So credit to her for being vulnerable. That is what leadership is about. Uh, Vigman said she wasn't concerned by Friday's performance and insisted that it wasn't a repetition of previous mistakes. Um, England have only now kept one clean sheet in their last eight games. Tonight is obviously huge. Uh, they've got to beat Scotland and hope the Netherlands drop points against Belgium if they have any hope of going through. Or, yeah, if they both win, it comes down to goal difference. So if we both win, England would have to score at least four, right? Yeah, at least. Because if the Netherlands win by just the one goal in that situation, we'd then be level on goal difference. And then it comes down to goals scored in the group, okay. I think. It's convoluted, but, you know, it's the Nations League. I'd expect nothing less. So basically, we're stuck in this really uh, what Dutch manager Andres Jonker said it was a strange situation that England now plays Scotland in the final game. Obviously, the competition organisers haven't really thought this one through. Uh, it's now obviously, you know, it's been talked about quite a lot over the past week or so how important this game is, but how much of a conflict that it now poses for some of the Scottish players who will have to now navigate this slightly tricky situation in which they themselves can't qualify no matter if they win by 20 nil uh, but obviously allowing England to beat them by a decent goal amount so if they said you know England's go on and score 10 nil and we'd be through to the Olympics and some of the Scottish players would then get the chance to play for Team GB it's not the greatest situation to be putting your players in my take on it is that you should take it it's a fuck up but in order to rectify that, you should take off or not play players who would probably be in with the chance of playing for Team GB to take them out. Of, I know it's I know that's controversial. It is because we've got a half a season left and other players could put themselves in contention in that half season. They could do, but I think the ones who seriously and realistically have a chance, especially when one of them is your goalkeeper, I think I wouldn't be putting them out in that situation because regardless of how professional you are, regardless of how much you go into that pitch and you know want to play for your country and absolutely... I appreciate there's a big rivalry between Scotland and England. It does. It's obviously going to be at the back of your mind. It's obviously that those players will want to play for the in the Olympics. They will want to try and be Olympic competitors. Absolutely. Like how can you not? How can that not be a part of it? And also for those Scottish players, some of whom you know play alongside the English players in the WSL in the Championship, like their teammates, their friends. They want to see their friends do well. They want to see their teammates do well. There was absolutely that passion to want to play for your country and do the absolute best you can. But you cannot tell me as a human being that a side of like a part of you wouldn't be like, well, we we haven't got a chance. You go forth, friends. I would hard disagree. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think there are many reasons why England could beat Scotland comfortably on Tuesday tonight. They could do that in their own right. I'm not saying they have to, like Scotland have to throw the game for England to win by that amount. The narrative is just ridiculous. I think England are... Arguably the better team with better depth. Scotland have just had this, found, you know, they've just been relegated. They're going to be absolutely gutted. That could also give them a huge amount of fight. Um, they're missing Caroline Weir. Erin Cuthbert went off injured. I don't know whether she's going to be available. Hopefully she is. England generally play better when they have their backs up against the wall. Should England do it, any questions over the result, I think, would just be absolutely ridiculous. There's no way Scotland would throw a match, whoever they're playing against, never mind England, um, also not that many players realistically are in contention I just don't see other players being like oh yeah we'll just like put our professional integrity at risk so that you can go to potentially go and play for Team GB I think it's 
not to you, but I think it's disrespectful to even bring up that narrative for professional players to even think about doing something like that. I just can't see it happening. And I think it was always an issue. It was an issue at the beginning of the tournament. It was an issue when the draws were made. Nobody was bringing up the word integrity at that time. They were only talking about it being a weird quirk of Mm -hmm. the Nations League. No one was questioning the integrity of the competition. They're only doing it now and I hate when that happens. Same thing happens with the Conti Cup when teams come in late in the game, right? We're not a big fan of that. But that's the situation from the get-go. You know that. Only waiting until those teams come in to complain about it is a bit pointless. It's not going to change. So, you know, this whole, it's a mistake, an issue that UEFA should have addressed and should address going forward. But equally, if Scotland had been in a different group and won their group, England could have ended up facing Scotland in a semi-final anyway. It could have happened later down the competition and that would have been an even higher stakes situation. So it's an awkward one, but I just think the idea that players would even consider like influencing uh, an outcome of a game negatively on purpose is just utter rubbish I just to clarify absolutely not questioning like the integrity of any of the players in the Scottish in the team but it does put them under a personal conflict because it does put them in a situation where for the greater good almost getting to Team GB getting Team GB to the Olympics riding off the weight of the back of the success of the Euros off the back of the World Cup obviously a lot of the sort of you know success that we do see at these major international tournaments does then feed back into the WSL there are greater messages here about how good it would be to get to the Olympics like there is a wider narrative they shouldn't have been put in this position in the first place but I do think it it does pose a bit of an internal conflict and that's not to say you know to question the professionalism of these players but I think it does and also it will there will undoubtedly whether this you know whether there are any other factors at play it will undoubtedly look suspicious to people if England go on a win tonight by 5-6-7-0 even if that would have been the natural result in any event and I'm, I it absolutely could be given the the disparity between both sides and the, the sort of quality at the moment but people will say they, they will people people will say it's it, it's you can't get away from that I don't think so it's going to be a very interesting game it's going to be a very interesting scoreline um, yeah and basically if we don't get enough goals or we don't get the win we are out of the Olympics um, France and Spain have already qualified for the finals of the Nations League it's a straight shootout between Germany and Denmark in the other group in League A uh, Germany beat Denmark 3-0 on Friday meaning they're level on 12 points but have a superior head-to-head and goal difference they play Wales tonight uh, also tonight the Republic of Ireland travelled to Belgium fast to play Northern Ireland Katie McCabe has said it's one you don't want to miss uh, Northern Ireland need a win to secure second place in the group that's also going to be an incredibly tasty fixture yeah I'm looking forward to that one I mean I appreciate Ireland didn't have the best performance against Hungary in the last match arguably though they are through they've they're going to top the group they've already been promoted and um, so a weird situation for them to kind of be coming out and dominating when they've already qualified um, but this is a different situation isn't it so this is always going to be a tasty fixture um, so I'm really looking forward to this one it should be good Hold up 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, looking even further forward to the future of the women's game in England, uh, last week it was announced that WSL and Championship clubs have finally reached an agreement for Nuco to take over the running of professional women's football from next season. Uh, former Nike director and investment banker Nikki Doucette is the Nuco CEO. Um, I mean, she's got a pretty hefty background. I think she can't be more than in her late 30s, early 40s or so. Um, already worked with Scotiabank, Citibank, uh, went on to the GM role uh, at Nike for eight years. We still don't know who's going to be on the board. I understand that sort of she has a bit of a free reign about who she chooses. It'll be really interesting to see which figures she's she identifies and places on her elite squad of trying to basically come up with what the new leagues are going to look like. I mean... There's still quite a lot of things that we don't know. So we don't know the sort of structure of how the leagues might look. There were some sort of um, very sketchy rumours going around last week about the leagues expanding into 20 teams per league. Someone put out there an unknown sort of very sketchy figure on Twitter with about two likes. This is the problem with this kind of thing where you get some information and then people just like fill in gaps and you don't actually know what the real situation is. Well, it's that. But I would anticipate that there might be something around, there's something new coming in about the structure of the leagues, whether that's the increasing. And expanding. Yeah, probably expanding. And I think it's probably the right time to mm. do that. Um, but also where sort of money is going to come from for this league. We still don't know. There were sort of rumours flying around about maybe the Premier League being involved, rumours about sort of private, uh, private equity firms being involved. But essentially, they don't have a big investor. Well, it's interesting, right? Do you come up with the structure and the commercial structure and the marketing structure and then you bring in someone who says, oh yeah, that looks like it's going to work. I'd love to invest in that. Or do you bring in someone to say, let's make this, figure it out together? Um, I mean, it depends who she has on the board, uh, essentially. I mean, I would think that the best thing to do would be to create the structure and then go out to the investor. I wouldn't I wouldn't have the investor deciding on, the, I think it needs to probably be kept separate. That would be my initial take on it. But also, until you get the investor, I mean, the thing is now, we've only got about six months before... Well, this is it. 
So do we have time to think, you, consider? Will you, you know, have the money to put in place the structure that you come up with? If you get, you need the right investor. I mean, you could end up with someone like a Barclays who's already involved. Yep. But, you know, it could be an interesting one. Well, we still don't know. We don't um, know. But what we do know, um, earlier this month, 11 of 12 championship clubs have rejected the proposals because it was given equal, votes, equal voting rights on certain matters like promotion and relegation and how revenue is divided, but had no say on broadcast and commercial deals. Um, the FA told championship clubs to accept the proposal or there was a, a risk that WSL clubs were going to go it alone. I mean, Nuco, uh, the, the biggest the biggest fear for me, I think, is that the women's championship clubs have obviously been given a bit of a, not the greatest of deals in this. They're not, they don't have a say on, you know, some really key critical issues, um, things that are going to affect them in the future as the, women game, uh, the women's games grow. And I think when you look at sort of, you know, where the championship is and the, the gap that is between the championship and the WSL, I think there's probably quite a lot of um, argument to say, well, the championship should probably be accepting a, a great ton more of the revenue because it needs to it needs to fill that divide. I mean, it's a seventy five twenty five revenue split, isn't it? And I know what you're going to say because I was going to say the same when Maggie Murphy came on, Thank you. and she argued it should be flipped on its head because you should be kind of trying to lift all boats, right? And mm-hmm. the the idea that giving the the championship more funding would suddenly have it usurp the WSL and that's just not going to happen. So I, I see where you were going to go with that. And I, that's a sim- yeah, It's worth going back and listening to that episode with Maggie Murphy, actually, because just more broadly, um, she speaks really well on the growth of the game and it's probably quite timely with, with this coming in as well. Um, but yeah, I think there, this kind of thing, I feel like there was always going to be some sort of conflict and, and not everyone was going to be entirely happy mm-hmm. it's a difficult difficult one to you know you because then you turn around and I'm not saying this is correct but you turn around to some of the, the the big clubs who are investing and I'm doing big clubs in like inverted commas but you know investing lots of money into the teams they want that revenue back and I can I, I agree with the idea of more of it should be going to the championship but that's what their argument is and I can just imagine them all around a table trying to hash this out well absolutely when you look at sort of what Maggie was saying about you know the women's championship the national leagues as well being part of this wider ecosystem I mean the the plan the idea and the narrative is for the national leagues of championship to kind of feed in this kind of homegrown talent into the WSL at stages and also for the WSL to use the championship and national leagues to get you know younger players who need game experience more time uh, to increase the competitiveness of those leagues so I think it all it all does come hand in hand so I do feel a little bit hard. I feel like the women's championship clubs have been hard done by, really. Mm. Um, and especially when you look at, you know, the setup of the championship, that you do have these kind of independent clubs. You've obviously got Lewis, you've got Durham, you've got London City Lionesses, and you've also got the majority of those clubs either yeah, independently owned or backed by a, cha- a men's championship club, like, you know, like it's a Blackburn, where they don't have that kind of level of funding. So, yeah, I mean... That to me feels like a, a little bit of a um, a dangerous situation for them to be in. But at the same time, if they hadn't accepted those proposals, I think chucking the championship clubs out on their arse, it, as, as a product in itself, the women's championship, I don't think is a very attractive product because you don't you only have a certain amount of games on the FA player. It's like one camera, you get like one person on comms. You don't get the kind of attendances that WSL got like gets. They don't have the same level of funding. The pitches are still a little bit of a mess. Um, so I don't think as a product itself, it's going to attract those kind of big investors that I think them, the clubs together, the WSL and Championship together as one big product would do. So I, I would have been concerned. Yeah, I think it's one of those, you're better off 
inside trying with, to make a change something. rather than outside trying to go it alone. And I hope, and look, maybe I'm being naive, but I hope that it's seen as an opportunity to really make a change and make a difference and, mm. and do something different and not do the, the old status quo when it comes to football. And hopefully if they get a good enough deal, the championship will see some decent money. Um, but yeah, I just... It's an interesting one. It's definitely one to keep an eye on to see how all the chips fall. It's that. I just feel like Nuko is a bit of a blank check. Mm. There's so many things that we can do differently in terms of the structure, the revenue, the broadcast deals, um, how the leagues are going to look. Um, yeah, even things like VAR and technology and, um, you know, it, it's just so much to do for Nikki Doucette and her, her band of incredibly merry board members um, to sort out in the next six months as well as obviously the whole league going not quite tender. Robin Hood by taking from the rich and giving <laughs> to the poor though isn't it just, maybe she should adopt that <laughs> but yeah it will be interesting to see sort of like what, what starts to come out in the next few months and obviously it goes to tender for the broadcast deal in and around early uh, 2024 so yes meanwhile the government have said it will back all recommendations in the Women's Football Review led by Karen Carney that was published in July um, one of the key recommendations was to work with broadcasters to create a new dedicated time slot uh, for broadcasting games. Obviously, it was something that we were discussing last week about maybe using the 3pm blackout slot. Um, could that be a thing of the past? I think it was it, that, that rule kind of came in the 1970s and was, was supposed to sort of come about to try and encourage people to actually attend games during that period of time. But obviously, it, it does now seem like it's a little bit outdated. It's meant to protect, like, not just Premier League and EFL, but right the way down. Yeah. yeah, so sort of more for kind of the grassroots side of things. But I think now those kind of grassroots club have probably built up their own sort of community out of it. I think one of the Karen Carney things that I think everyone was quite critical of was that there doesn't seem to have been this lack of, well, there was a lack of accountability where everyone doing that kind of... Um, Spider-Man meme that I was talking about before when everyone's like, well, you, you've you got some part to play and you've got some part to play, but you've got some part to play. So this is like the FA, Nuco, like maybe the Premier League, like clubs, directors all sitting around going... I'll do it if you do it. Yeah, go on. Well, you do it first. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I'm not doing it until you do it. Well, go on, you do it first and I'll see what happens next. It's like that kind of vibe. Um, so now it kind of feels like the government have taken this kind of very initial... Step, they said, to expedite these recommendations, the government will convene an implementation group comprising of stakeholders, including the FA, NUCO and others, to ensure that milestones are met. Uh, a board of women's, sp uh, women's sports will be established in the new year, featuring leading industry figures to address common challenges and accelerate growth of women's sport beyond football. Are you feeling a bit cynical or like lacking in kind of Did that, you get that vibe? real belief? I, I would just... What I also, would... it's our government. Well, this is that's probably the biggest issue. For me. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds a bit like they're like, yeah, whatever sounds great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they announced that David Cameron is stepping in as CEO of this new women's stop sport it. board. Don't start that. Crap. Can you even cope? I hope it is protected uh, if and when we have a general election. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my positive cap Go and on, please do it. Hope that in a few years' time we'll be sitting here and looking back at progress that's been made. And I think you touched on it there. Accountability is key. Um, if they're including milestones, that's good because they're targets that they're going to be trying to meet and have deadlines and that kind of thing. I think that's really important because it's all well and good saying this kind of stuff, but we want to see it in action. And I, you know, with someone like Karen Carney, who who is invested in the game and, and understands the importance of these measures, I'd like to think we can get somewhere. So I'm going to try and be positive about it. I love that. God, that was inspiring. Okay. Good. 
All right, well, I'm going to stop being the Christmas Grinch and uh, wait and see what happens. I mean, I could be, you know, talking out the side of my face like next year when this board pops up and everything just starts. Chloe's on it. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a great idea. I love it. Please, I'd love a seat. <laughs> what? Nikki on the phone. <laughs> okay, well, pass it to my secretary and I'll try and get back to work. If there wasn't enough change, enough transformation happening uh, across the leagues, uh, news came out of Hamburg on Saturday that the Women's Champions League will become an 18 team league format. Uh, from 2025 to 26 in that season, uh, mirroring the changes being made to the men's side of things. Um, this is only the third season we've had the current format of four groups of four in the Women's Champions League. And now UEFA are like, no, do you know what? I think you guys got a little bit too used to one format. We're going to spice it up, do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, throw in this massive 18-team league and then leave you all to kind of figure out how it will all work. So stupid. Um, yeah, it doesn't really make too much sense at the moment. Uh, we were kind of discussing this before the pod and it kind of looks like one of those sort of classic UEFA strategies of sort of making this big announcement about structures of things and then not really filling people with a great deal of detail about what that might look and the implications. Of- we're going to change everything and here's some top lines of what it might look like. We'll tell you the rest later. Okay, <laughs> Wait. Um, all we wanted, we wanted more teams. So that's... Yeah, there's a few more. Plus um, tick. Yeah, eighteen team group. They're calling it. I'd argue yeah. it's more of a league. Yeah. Um, and these eighteen teams will play six matches. So they'll play three teams home and away. Yeah. Which are going to be based on like seedings, almost like groups. Um, so they will play mini groups within this league I'll just keep them in groups for the love of Jesus and then you have the top four of the league will go through to the quarterfinals correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. because it's quite likely at this point I wouldn't even know if you're wrong and then fifth to twelfth will play some playoffs two-legged playoffs mm. to get into the other four quarterfinals there's someone sitting in a small room in neon in UEFA's headquarters with like one of those big boards with the string and the post-it notes and they're trying to figure out how to make the most convoluted competitions ever and they're pulling out of their arses the Nations League and this new format Mm. when really they should just be focusing on a calendar and if they can make convoluted competitions like this they can put together a bloody calendar that works for football and that doesn't you know run everyone into the ground. Um, yeah, and I'm going to jump in for the easy part. So from the quarterfinals, the competition will follow the usual knockout style format. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Just in case anyone was confused. But there's also... <laughs> so basically you could finish 12th in that league and still somehow get to the final. This is very NWSL of you all. Yes, you can. And I like that. Do you know what you can do? Oh, you can gosh. tell us about the new kind of European style UEFA league UEFA League, Europa League style competition. Go on, Chloe, tell us how that's going to work. Um, so there's a new second tier women's club competition that will also start in 2025. That will be a straight knockout format. But some teams who are eliminated in the early rounds of the Women's Champions League will also get a second chance to play in the Europa League setup. So we still don't know, obviously, how that will look and also really which teams will qualify for the 13 teams, the third place teams in the domestic league from associations ranked 8 to 13 well, and the runners that. up of the associations ranked 18 to 24 will enter the competition directly while feeding a system from the UEFA Women's Champions League. We'll see. You with me? You on board? Yeah, go on. Fine. Staying close? Yeah, no, yeah. I've lost myself. I don't even know where I am with the sentence. 
Um, basically, that should be good. There's still a lot of. I, I'm absolutely. I'm really excited. I mean, we spoke to Claire Bloomfield at, at the ECA uh, not too long ago. Um, and we were sort of all saying then that it would be a good idea to sort of increase the amount of European football that teams, you know, not just in the top three of sort of the elite leagues get. Uh, it's good for exposure. It's good for um, experience. It's good for obviously like trying to you know get some more attention, some more eyes on some of the clubs that, that don't really get that, but also there's a little bit of concern, I suppose, about how some of these like teams are going to be supported. Uh, you know, European football is very expensive to play in. Uh, it also means that you might have to sort of look at stadium games and where these games are put on. It also sort of begs the question around, you know, where does own fit into all this and how the broadcast rights will look for a, a league like that. So my one suggestion is that the person coming up with all these new convoluted competitions mm. should stop. Okay. Now. Yeah, that, that sounds That's plausible. good. Yeah, and good turn your attention to creating a new calendar, please. Thank you. All right. Well, you heard, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, we're advocating for change here and up front every single day. Calendar. Just give me a calendar. That works. Thank you. We're going to end on the upfront Hall of Fame section this week. Drum roll. Go on. Well, drum roll. Um. Thank you. I just can't get the staff anymore. Okay, I will leave it to listener Olive to introduce this week's entrant. Jill Scott. She said Jill Scott should be a dead sir. I lo- oh, let me do that again. Sorry, that's horrible. Jill Scott should be a sir. A long, successful career ending with lifting the trophy for her country and crossing over into the mainstream now so easily. Plus, iconic. She called that German player a fucking prick. It's got to be her. Rachel, why would you put her in our Hall of Fame? Um, I think with Jill, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, which I think is what makes her so successful both on and off the pitch. Um, And I think she played an important role right until the very end. Like she played such an important role in that final at Mm -hmm. the Euros. And she may not have gotten a lot of of minutes during that tournament, but she was so important and integral to that wider group. Um, And yeah, just off the pitch, she's gone on to smash it. And she's been a bit of a trailblazer in that respect. Um, Enjoyed kind of interviewing her over the years. She was always really bubbly, um, really friendly, really kind of open with interviews. I think the last proper one we did with her was at the She Believes Cup. And we did, we got her to do like youth slang. So we would give her a word and she'd have to tell us <laughs> what it meant. Um, so that, that was, she was quite good at that. Um, I remember giving her, what what did it, swole. That was one of the words. And we had swole. swole. What does that mean? It means like hench. And she was sat there, we're doing this interview and you know, you know, David um, from one of the comms guys in the FA and he was, he was sat with us. Oh yeah. And she was like, swole. And I was like, yeah. I was like, look, look at David over there. I might give you a hint. She goes, she couldn't think. And I was, I told her and she goes, swole, David. And I was like, such a burn. <laughs> so like, typical Jill. Um, and I'm pretty sure we left that in the video because poor David was over the other side being like, Jill, I could be swole. <laughs> I think um, Jill is iconic. I think like you can't really say much else about the fact that not only has she sort of done so much for women's football, but she's also been one of those sort of trailblazers in making that transition over into the sort of mainstream and making sure that the conversations are still happening. Not only that, but like she is still part of like some of these incredible game shows now. I mean, she's appeared on Question of Sport. She's appeared in League of Their Own. Um, yeah, and I think one of my finest, one of my favourite things, apart from the fact that she's obviously had an incredible footballing career, she was the first female <clears throat> captain um, of England Soccer Aid in June 2023. Was she? Yeah, and I, I did that. I did not know that. Um, so a little bit about Jill. We've got to give her a bit of context and a bit of history in case you didn't know 
you know, who this icon was. Uh, she began her senior career with Sunderland, then went to Everton and won the FA Cup. She's recounted in interviews how she drove for six hours the day before the game from her sister's wedding day. Uh, she was still in her dress because she'd been bridesmaid and interviewed herself on the whole way down to entertain herself. I mean, that's just classic Jill Scott, really. Nothing about that really surprises me. Uh, Man City, uh, she went on to win the League Cup and the FA Cup three times and the WSL once in 2016. But it was on the international stage where she made her name. Uh, she's England's most uh, second most capped international footballer of all time with 161 caps and England's most capped player at World Cups with 21 appearances. I mean, where do you even find the time, Jill? That's incredible. I mean, I think I made three appearances at WSL level. So, um, yeah, and no one called me up for the England squad. Weird. Uh, she had the ultimate redemption arc. It was her goal in the 116th minute against the Netherlands that took England through to the final of the Euros in 2009, where England lost heavily to Germany. Uh, she then helped England close out the victory against Germany in the final of the Euros in 2022, uh, 2022 in her fir- final ever game. Like, that in itself is... And, like... Please let's just remember how iconic the celebrations were of her in Trafalgar Square with the rest of the squad. All of them wearing these kind of like a raver bucket hat type situations. And then they'll have glasses on as well because they were hanging. Yeah, but she's just, um, she's the nicest possible person. Like she's, um, so obviously she's part of um, Tongue Tied and we sort of go to the Christmas party and Jill Scott is always there, regardless <laughs> of all the appearances and interviews and whatever else that she is. Um, and she is always absolutely life and soul and she's just so down to earth and so lovable. So everything that you see on sort of camera is everything that she is off. Um, and also she runs an incredible little independent coffee shop. Have you been? Uh, I've not. I've not, been, I've, nice. not I've not gone to Box I'd to recommend. Box. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a plug for Box to Box. Definitely head down if you're up in the... We should do an episode from Box to Box. Oh my God, yeah. Thank you for everything you've done for Women's Football, Jill, and welcome to the Upfront Hall of Fame. And, and to yes. those who nominated her, because there were quite a few people who nominated her. So. 100%. She's in. All right, congratulations. You and Sophie Ingle have made the cut. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely see if we can try and get maybe a, an upfront at Box to Box in the north. Box front. Box Park. Oh no, that's taken. Where are we this week, Rachel? I'm not going to even respond to that. I'm going up to Scotland. Scotland! Yeah, and then... Uh, where am I going? Coming back from Scotland. Oh, uh, Score predictions for Scotland. Oh, <laughs> I feel like Ailey will win it, but not by enough. Okay. Um, So that they'll... Like they, yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. Okay. Um, um, wait, hang on. What are your score predictions? Uh, what do we need to win? Five. Five nil. Four. Okay, five nil. Okay. Five nil. And then <laughs> isn't it Chelsea Arsenal at the weekend? It is set to be another WSL record breaker. I think they've already sold 55,000 tickets. I love that. Could you imagine if they sell it out? How cool would that be? That would be so cool. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, yeah. We're well, going to be there. Uh, don't even. We're going to be doing an upfront special in a record, what could be a WSL record breaker. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter slash X. I'm at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball and we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront Pod. See you on Sunday. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.